Michael Fanon was a plainclothes, undercover narcotics detective in Washington, D.C., working for the D.C. Metro Police. On January the 6th, he was at his desk doing paperwork when he received word that there was a riot going on at the Capitol and officers needed backup. He immediately went to his locker and put on his uniform. It was the first time he had worn it. It was brand new. He headed over to the Capitol, and there he was stunned at what he found. He was assigned to a group of about 30 officers. They were in a narrow hall trying to hold back the crowds. But the crowd, he said it, it was obviously 10 to 15,000 people that were coming at us. It was impossible. Soon he found himself being sprayed with a chemical irritant. You'd like pepper spray, but it was worse than that. It was more like bear spray. No, they found themselves being beaten with lead pipes. He was grabbed and pulled to the ground. He was drugged outside into the crowd. They tasered him several times in the back of his neck. It left him basically paralyzed, unable really to move. They continued to beat him and to kick him. Seven men were attacking him. In the end, they ripped off his radio from his uniform. They ripped off his extra ammunition. They ripped his badge off. And he was helpless to really stop it. But then he felt hands reaching for his gun, trying to grab his gun. He put his hands down to try to hold on to it, but he heard someone shout him, kill him with his own gun, kill him with his own gun. Michael now went into a survival mode, thinking, maybe I should pull out my gun and start shooting. It would stop a few, but he couldn't stand them all off. And now they would have an excuse to kill him. His mind was thinking and suddenly he thought, maybe, maybe I could appeal to their common humanity, our common humanity. And he began to cry out, I have kids. I have kids. It worked. There were some people in the crowd who stopped seeing him as a faceless police officer and instead saw him as a father. Moved by a common humanity, they began to form a circle around him and protected him from the rioting mob until he could recover enough to get up and support help came and he was rescued. They saved his life. You know, when I was watching this and hearing all this, I couldn't help but think, here you had a crowd, a mob, and they were so full of anger and hatred and aggression. And yet in the midst of the same mob, you also had empathy, compassion, kindness. It made me think about a, a picture that my daughter Kelly and her husband Andy have at their home up on their wall. And it's a saying. 
The last time we were there, Marsh and I saw it and I took a picture of it and, and I want to read you what it says. An old Cherokee told his grandson, My son, there is a battle between two wolves inside of us all. One is evil. It is anger, jealousy, greed, lies. The other is good. It is joy, peace, hope, love, kindness, and truth. The boy thought about it and asked, Grandfather, which wolf wins? The grandfather replied, The one you feed. What are you feeding your soul? This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Love Without Exception. And we're looking at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 13th chapter. This is our fourth week. We are reminded that Paul was writing to the early church, to a church that was actually very successful and growing, but it had begun to fracture and splinter into different groups. Everybody who had a different priority, everybody who knew that they had the truth, they had all the truth, and everybody else ought to go along with them and think the same way. It was causing division and strife. And so Paul would write to them and say, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Paul would talk about a sacrificial love that they were called to have for each other and how that was more important than having all the truth or all the right beliefs. Today we read where Paul continues on in the 8th verse, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. Understand what Paul was trying to say to them was, you feel like you've got all the truth. You have all the right answers and everybody must agree with you. But guess what? You don't have all the truth. For our knowledge is imperfect and it will pass away. Our prophecy is imperfect and it will pass away. Now, when you and I hear the word prophecy, we usually think about predicting the future. But that's not prophecy. That was not the role of the prophet in Israel. It's not what Paul would have been thinking about. The role of the prophet in Israel was to look at the people and bring judgment. The role of the prophet was to look at what society was doing and how they were treating each other. How are they worshiping Yahweh? Were they following God? And they would then call it out and say, here's where you're failing. Here's how you're not worshiping God. Here's how you're treating each other so poorly. They were to point out how everybody was doing wrong or what they were doing wrong. And if you continue to fail and sin, then this will happen. So that's when they talked about the future. This was what will happen. 
you'll be destroyed by the Assyrians, you'll be destroyed by the Babylonians, whatever it might be, there would be a result because of what you were doing. But the role of prophecy was to look at the world and point out what was wrong and bring judgment. That's what so many people were doing in the church. We have the truth. And I'm going to point out what you're doing wrong. Bring judgment. And Paul said, our prophecy is imperfect. And it will pass away. And one day we will stand before that which is perfect. And then we will understand the imperfect will pass away. When I was reading this this week and trying to struggle with this passage, I, I couldn't help but think about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, because I love the concept that he came up with. He called it um, the Catholic spirit. The word Catholic, you remember, means universal. That's what the word Catholic means. And so he wanted to talk about the universal Christian spirit. And he said, what that means is if you love Christ and you love your neighbor, then give me the right hand of fellowship. If you love God and you love your neighbor, we're going to be friends. You see, John Wesley was living at a time when there was great division among people. And people were saying they had the truth and arguing with one another. It was between the Catholics and the Church of England, of which he was a part. Between them and the Congregationalist Church, between the Puritans who said nobody was good enough, between the Presbyterians and the Lutherans, they all had so many different beliefs and people were fighting and dying over it. You look at communion. In communion, is there transubstantiation? That means do the elements literally get transformed and become the body of Christ? Is it consubstantiation? where the Spirit of Christ enters in, but it's still more symbolic? Who takes communion? Do you have to be a member of this church? Do you take just the bread? Do you take bread and wine? John Wesley would come along with this whole new idea and say, we have open communion. Maybe you're Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian. If you repent of your sins and you are in love with Christ and your neighbor, you are welcome at the table to receive God's grace. We may disagree on some of our theology, but nobody has all the truth. The truth is we all stand in the need of God's grace. When it came to baptism, there were people who were put to death over this whole concept. Can you baptize children? Can you baptize only adults? Must you be sprinkled? Do we pour? Must you be immersed? And all these different churches were divided along these lines. And John Wesley said, we all stand in the need of grace, the need of baptism. But you can be sprinkled and you can be poured and you can be immersed. And if you've been baptized in the Catholic or Presbyterian or Lutheran church, you do not need to be rebaptized. Now John Wesley was trying to say, Nobody has all the truth. For our knowledge is imperfect and it will pass away. And our prophecies are imperfect and they will pass away. There's one thing that lasts. Love never ends.
Now, if you and I will embrace this concept, this basic truth, that we're not perfect, we don't have all the truth, we don't have all knowledge, we could be wrong. Even though we need to know what we believe, we could be wrong because our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecies are imperfect and they will pass away. So what we need to do is at least listen and be respectful of those who think differently from us so that truly love can bind us together. Now, when you look around in our world today, you can see there's, there are a number of politicians who haven't heard this concept. That we need to listen and respect those who think differently. That it is possible that we are wrong in what we believe. Or at least there is more than one right answer. But before you and I throw stones at anybody, you and I need to go stand in the mirror and look at ourselves and ask ourselves the question, how do I treat other people? Do I have all the truth? Do I think it's only my way and I am the one who's completely right? Am I willing to listen? Am I willing to show respect to those who think differently from me? The Apostle Paul was trying to say to the early church in Corinth, remember, we're not perfect. We don't have all the truth. It is only love that is going to last. So what do we think Paul was trying to ask from the people in Corinth? What do we think Paul is actually asking out of us today? That's what I want us to think about this morning. And I really just want to leave you with two thoughts. First of all, I think Paul was asking the people of Corinth, will you commit to creating a compassionate spirit in your heart? The question becomes, which one are you feeding in your soul? One of selfishness and anger and self-righteousness or a spirit of compassion and kindness and empathy? What are you feeding in your soul? This past week, I heard the great story and learned about a, a little girl named Morgan Marsh McClone. I know many of you have heard about her. I, I went back to do a lot of research about her story because I thought, there's got to be a lot more here. She's amazing. She's a little girl. She's eight years old. Um, she lives up in Belleville, um, Wisconsin, it's right near Madison. And it was about a year ago, the COVID was starting to go on. She saw this pandemic. So many people were losing their jobs. People were hungry throughout all of her area. And she wanted to do something to help. Her mother helped her learn about a, a wonderful program for feeding the hun hungry called Little John's. It was a restaurant. And it was a restaurant that was actually doing several things. One, it was working with a local grocery store to receive all of their produce that they were going to throw out. 
I mean, when you and I go to the grocery store, we want fruit that looks perfect. I don't want dented tomatoes or some sort of problem with my potato. No, we want the perfect looking fruit and all kinds of produce gets thrown away. In fact, it is said that 60 million tons of food a year, perfectly good food, is lost either in harvest, packaging, or sales. Well, they wanted to take that food. And then secondly, they wanted to be able to cook and to help other people. And they had lots of veterans in the area who were looking for work and really weren't trained for work out in the civilian world. They were trained for work in the military and they wanted to teach them how do you cook? How can you be a part of a food industry? But third, they created this restaurant and it was a restaurant where you pay what you can afford. If you come in and you have lunch and you think it's worth it, you pay $10. If all you can afford is five, you pay five. If all you have is $1, you pay one. And if you don't have anything, you don't pay anything. It feeds everyone and you pay as you choose. It's a program for feeding the hungry that was growing so much in their area. And they went from coming in to sit down to box up meals that you take away with you. Well, it turned out that, that Morgan loved this idea and she wanted to help. So she came up with the idea she was going to have a lemonade stand. And she was going to sell lemonade and she was going to give all the proceeds to Little John's. And she set herself a goal of making $90. But as she talked through the idea with her mom, you know, they realized having a lemonade stand in the middle of a pandemic probably isn't the best idea for a fundraiser. And so her mom came up with the idea, what if we had a virtual online lemonade stand? You could ask people, will you buy a glass of lemonade for a dollar? And if you will mail in a dollar, then you will mail them a coupon that says whenever the pandemic is over, you're going to set up your lemonade stand and they can come and use their coupon to collect their glass of lemonade. And so they put it up, hoping to raise $90. And the first person who decided to buy some lemonade gave her more than $90. She was thrilled. She was running through the house going, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Well, other people started doing the same. And soon she had already raised over $2,000. $2,000. And so she said, you know, if we raise $5,000, I'm going to add a cookie with every glass of lemonade when you come to collect. They ran past 5000 She said, if we make $10,000, i am going to have a live band. Don't know how she thought she was going to do that. I'm going to have a live band. They ran past 10000 and 15000 and then 25000 and then 45000 $53,000 is what little Morgan raised at eight years old to give to little John's. Well, I mean, that was incredible. Well, if you watched Celebrate America last Wednesday night, then what you saw was a show hosted by Tom Hanks trying to look at different ordinary people across our country who were reaching out to help people, whether the front lines, nurses, doctors, whether people helping with the food issues. And they picked up on the story of this little Morgan. They reached out to her and said, we want you to create a 60-second video. Tom Hanks is going to be calling you to help you know when, how you'll come in, how you go out, how you throw it back to him. Her mom went to her and said, can you believe you're going to be doing a little commercial right here in the middle of this 
special event for the inauguration. And Morgan said, what's an inauguration? She was clueless. So her mom explained it to her, this is what it is. And she was so excited to do it, she wasn't camera shy at all. And I saw her then being interviewed after it all had been done and this person was saying, I heard you talk to Tom Hanks. That Tom Hanks called and talked to you. I mean, did you think that was exciting? And she said, well, yes, but I didn't know who Tom Hanks was. Sometimes it helps to kind of bring our feet back down to ground. But no, she did it. And why did she do it? Well, she said, I just love helping people. It makes me feel so good when I know I've done something to help somebody else. If you don't have any money, you can't buy any food. And people need money to pay for their rent. They shouldn't have to worry about food as well. I'm listening to this little eight-year-old girl who not only raised $53,000, but now she's down there working, working with Chef Dave, who is the head chef and who's making this whole program go, and he's teaching her how to make great lemonade and how to make cookies. And when the time finally comes, they hope this summer that they can have a lemonade stand. Well, little Johns is going to jump in and help because she's now issued almost 900 coupons. And obviously thousands are going to come for their lemonade. And they have connections with a very well-known band there in the area. And they're going to help her to be able to have that lemonade stand to fulfill all those coupons that she sent out. But Chef Dave made a fascinating statement. He said, you know, we are so grateful for the money that Morgan raised. But more than the money, what she did is she has helped raise awareness and she has helped so many people step forward and say they want to give and volunteer because she has helped so many people remember a spirit of compassion. I think Paul was trying to say to the early church, look, we're not perfect. You're so worried, you know, are we speaking in tongues? Or are we going to wind up being preachers and prophets and teachers and miracle workers? Who's the best? How should we do all this? The most important thing isn't about being a perfect church. It's about being a church that heard Jesus say, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love one another as I have loved you, to build a church that has a basics of the spirit of compassion. What are you feeding your soul? And secondly, I believe that Paul wasn't trying to create a perfect church. That's why he told us, our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecies are imperfect and they're going to pass away. And one day you'll stand before that which is perfect and you will understand. Now the goal isn't striving to be perfect. It's about understanding that we're all in this life together. And we need each other. And we may have different ideas and different struggles. We still need each other. We're in this together. 
I love the statement that I shared with you last week from Martin Luther King. We all came on different ships here, but now we're all in the same boat together. We're in the same boat, all desiring the same kinds of things, a roof over our head and food to eat and enough money to take care of our basic needs and work that is meaningful and health care and education. and Yeah, we all need each other. We're in the same boat together. And it's about understanding that it is love that's going to make that work. It is love that will overcome these differences. So though we may not all think alike, we can still all love alike. Another one of the people that I came to know this last week I was unaware of was a person named Amanda Gorman. Um, I'm sure many of you have now heard of Amanda Gorman. If you have not, I encourage you to go home and Google her. She is all over the Internet. It turned out that she is a national or the National Youth Poet Laureate. And she actually read a poem that she wrote there at the inauguration. Now, a poet has only read a poem at six inaugurations. She was only, or this is the sixth time. And she was the youngest. I have to tell you, when she came walking forward and stepped up there to the podium, she just grabbed my attention. She looked so young. I thought she was 16 years old. And she's all of 22. 22 years old, a very pretty young African-American lady who was so poised and she owned the moment. She stood in the line of people like Robert Frost and Maya Angelou. She stood up to read a poem. It turned out that it was Jill Biden who had heard her back in December and said, I want her to be in this inauguration. So she had not quite a month to be able to write her poem. And no one tried to censor it. No one tried to tell her what she had to say. This would be her words, her heart that she came to share. And they trusted her with that. And she was amazing. It turned out she was born and raised in L.A. There was a single mom. She was a teacher. They were not wealthy by any means. It turned out that she had a, had a speech impediment. For the longest time, she couldn't pronounce R's, couldn't pronounce the letter R. She struggled with it all of her life, and she loved words. And so it was a number of years ago, she really wanted to try to address this speech, this speech impediment, and so she started singing a song from Hamilton. The song was Aaron Burr, Sir, and it has lots of R's. And so she sang and sang and sang this song so that she could try to deal with it. And she said, I finally overcame it when I was 20, just two years before. And not 100%, but she said, I overcame it enough that I gained a new sense of confidence that, that I could do this. And so she's always loved words and crafting words. And, and so she wrote this poem, The Hill We Climb all about what it means for us to be together, climbing the hill, finding a bright new future. It was such a positive statement. If you haven't heard it, like I said, just go, go Google Amanda um, Gordon and you'll, uh, Gorman and you will find that it's easy to find her reading her poem. And 
I, I can't read the whole thing to you. It's over five minutes long, but I, I wanted to read you just a snippet from the middle and the end so you get a feel for what she was asking out of us and sharing with us as we are at this point in our history. She said, And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know that to put our future first, we must put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so that we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried. In every nook of our nation and every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light, if only we are brave enough to see it, if only we are brave enough to be it. We are all in this together, and there is light. If we're brave enough to see it, if we are brave enough to be it, that we are called to see our common humanity, that we are called to see one another's needs and to commit to a compassionate spirit. What are you feeding your soul? Paul said to the church in Corinth, we don't have all the truth. We're not perfect. For our knowledge is imperfect and it will pass away. And our prophecy is imperfect and it will pass away. It is love that never ends. And that's why we commit to loving without exception. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.